Heavenly Father, we recognise that we live in a world of wickedness and sin, and the wicked often set snares for us, seeking to trap us. And so we come to your word, so that we will not stray from your precepts, so that we'll be invigorated and know how best to please you. And we pray that you will help us by your spirit, send your spirit to us even now, to equip us and strengthen us in the fight. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Saul, we've been tracking through 1 Samuel together. Uh, we've seen his rise uh, under the leadership of the prophet Samuel to be king over Israel. This is a time where the Israelites are moving from a period where judges have been ruling over them. They came out of Egypt many years earlier under the leadership of Moses. And then they've had a series of different judges who God has raised up to lead them. But then they've been transitioning to a kingship. And we've seen Saul appointed as the first king of Israel. And we saw particularly how his kingdom was solidified in his win over the Ammonites, in particularly chapter 11. We saw in chapter 11 that he was used by God to bring vengeance upon the Ammonites who were attacking Israel. And so it looks like Saul is firmly king over Israel until we come to chapter 13 where we see initially that he looks like he's still got clout as the king of Israel. He assembles his army, he gets it ready, and we see that in verse 2 of chapter 13, that Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan, that's his son, at Gibeah in Benjamin, and the rest of the men he sent back to their homes. But then we see that he starts to make war upon the Philistines with this army that he has. Jonathan attacked the Philistines in verse 3 at the outpost of Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. And so all Israel hears the news as that Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. So now he's raised up a much larger army than he had before to come and fight the Philistines after his son Jonathan has attacked them. And the Philistines respond by assembling their own army. And we read the description of it there in verse 5. Verse 5 of, of chapter 13, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. And they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. And how did the Israelites respond to this show of force from the Philistines? Well, look with me at verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops were with him, uh, with him were quaking with fear. So we see now that the Israelites are shrinking back with fear in the face of a much superior force uh, of the Philistine army. And Saul is wanting to fight, and so he waits for Samuel so that Samuel, the prophet, can offer that sacrifice that needs to be made to seek the Lord's favour before they go into battle. But as he's waiting, we see that the people begin to scatter. Verse 8, verse eight he that Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he sees his army dissipating before him as he's waiting for Samuel. And so what does he do? Well, 
We read in verse 9, So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Saul has taken matters into his own hands. He's made the offering when Samuel did not show up, as he was hoping, and it is in effect to try and keep the men from scattering so that they can go into battle. But then we see that Samuel himself shows up in verse 11 and confronts Saul with what he has done. Verse 11, what have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel challenges Saul here about his sin. He has sinned by not waiting for Samuel to show, as was commanded by Samuel, that he's disobeyed a direct command of God, and he's possibly even made the sacrifice himself. Uh, it may be that he had priests there to make it, but he at least has commanded a sacrifice to be made to God when he was not supposed to. And so what is the root problem for Saul here? Well, it's pride. Pride that he is king and that he is king over all, including when and where sacrifices will be made. Rather than have God as his total sovereign, who gives the ultimate commands, Saul wants to have dominion over what God has given him dominion over, but also what God has dominion over, particularly the role of his prophets, the role of his priests. He wants to be in their shoes as well. And what does Saul do when confronted about his sin? Well, he makes the excuses that we just read in verse 11. He makes three excuses here. What, is his, what are Saul's excuses for his sin? Well, firstly, we see that he makes an excuse that the Israelites were beginning to scatter. Verse 11, Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering. It's because of those Israelites. If they'd stuck with me, I wouldn't have offered the burnt offering and disobeyed you. Also, there's another excuse that he gives there. What's the second excuse that he gives in verse 11? And that you, Samuel, did not come at the set time. If you had been here, I wouldn't have sinned either. It's your fault, Samuel, that I've disobeyed God. And not only that, not only the Israelites to blame, not only are you to blame, Samuel, but also the Philistines are to blame. In verse 11, he says, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. It's the fault of the Israelites, it's the fault of Samuel, and it's the fault of the Philistines. If the Philistines hadn't been assembling and trying to make war with me and come down and defeat me, then I wouldn't have disobeyed you, Samuel. It's everybody else's fault, and I was really just forced to make the offering when I shouldn't have. But how do the excuses go down with Samuel? Well, he doesn't accept any of the excuses. We read in verse 13, you acted Foolishly, Samuel said, and then he outlines the consequences of Saul's action, particularly the punishment that will come upon him. What is the punishment that will come upon him? Well, we see that his kingdom will be stripped away. We read in verse 13, you acted foolishly, Samuel said, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. 
The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. What will happen to Saul as a result of his sin? The kingdom that he has will not endure. Instead, it will be stripped away. And we see the consequences of his action even there as Samuel himself and the Israelites abandon Saul. We see that he tried to get people to stay by offering the sacrifice, but it didn't work. And people leave in verse 15. Then Samuel the prophet left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin. And Saul counted the men who were with him and they numbered about 600. His army has been whittled down. And then the consequences of his sin are that the Israelites that are with him don't have weapons to fight against the Philistines. They're ill-equipped. We see that in verse 19 and following that the blacksmith could not be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. And so the Israelites are actually going to the Philistines, the enemy, to get their farming tools sharpened. None of them have any weapons to fight against the Philistines, except in verse 22 we see, so on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Saul thought by disobeying God, he would keep the men and have victory over the Philistines. Instead, we see that they're ill-equipped. The men have left, Samuel has left, and he's going to lose his kingdom one day as a result of his actions. Now, what can we learn from Saul's sin here so many years later? Well, our sin follows a similar pattern. Our sin follows a similar pattern. In what way? Well, much of our sin is a, is a disobedience of God's plain commands. Sa Saul had a plain command from Samuel to wait. And he did not. And we have plain commands from God again and again in the scripture. And we disobey them. God's plain commands are there in scripture and they're summed up nicely for us in love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. They're fairly plain. We know what love is. We know what it is to love God and we know what it is to love our neighbour as ourselves because we're very good at loving ourselves. So of course we know what it is to love our neighbour as ourselves. But our sin is just a plain disobedience of a plain command of God like Saul did so many years ago. And all our sin, like Saul, is rooted in our pride. We think we should be allowed to do whatever we like that we have been given a kingship by God over many things within our lives, and we should then be able to exercise that kingship in all areas of our lives. We want to be king in everything. We're happy to do what God has said is permitted, but we also want to do what God has said is not permitted for us. We want God's crown as well as the little crown that he has given us as we rule over our lives. Many things that God has outlawed for us may indeed be right for others, like was with Saul so many years ago. Offering a burnt offering was a good thing, but it was not for Sam Saul to do. It was for Samuel to do. It is for God's priest to do. And it's the same for us today. There are things that others are permitted to do, but we are not permitted to do them. There are things that we see others doing and we want to do them too. There's many examples of this in our life. Uh, we want sex, but it, outside of the confines of marriage, it is well and good thing to glorify God in sexual relationships, but they're meant to be done within the context of marriage. But what does humanity want to do? It wants to, to go against the plain command of the Lord 
and do what he has forbidden. Also, we want to see justice done by taking revenge ourselves. Rather than allowing those who God has appointed to administer justice in our land, we want to take revenge ourselves. And we often want to make up for our mistakes by atoning for them ourselves, whether by giving money or saying the Lord's Prayer multiple times. But atonement for sin is not our job as unclean sinners. We cannot make up for our sin. And so we disobey God's plain command when we seek to make up atonement by our own strength. And like Eve so many years ago, she wanted knowledge that was not hers to have. And this is often a case for us as well. We want knowledge of things that is not for us to have. Yes, others may be permitted to have such knowledge, but we are not permitted to have that knowledge. And so we disobey God's plain command by trying to have such knowledge. So we are like Saul in the way that we disobey the plain commands of God and by the way that we think we should have everything that our heart desires, that we should be the one who rules our lives in absolutely everything rather than God. And we are also like Saul that when we are confronted by our sin, we make excuses. We love to excuse our sin like Saul did so quickly so many years ago. We say our friends will desert us if we do not sin. Common one that I hear is, my boyfriend will leave if I do not sleep with him. If I do not give in to his desires, he will leave. Or we say our enemies will triumph. If I'm not privy to certain information, someone is going to get hurt. If my parents do not, if I do not punish my sister for her misdemeanors against me, my parents won't. My parents let my sister get away practically with murder, so I'm the one that must bring her into line. And the local council will do nothing about that tree next door, so I have to take matters into my hands and poison it myself. We want to do what is not permitted for us to do because our enemies will triumph if we do not take matters into our hands. And ultimately, we love to blame God as well. That's what Saul was doing. Samuel, you representative of God, you did not come in time. And so it's your fault, God. Your representative wasn't here. And so we like to blame God as well. One of the common ones that I hear for people blaming God is that when they sin is that things haven't been going so well in my life right now. So of course I make mistakes. Of course I give in to sin. If things were better for me, God, then of course I would be a little angel. If you just made my life prosperous, I would be so much better behaved. So it's your fault that you've allowed so many tr troubles to come into my life that now I'm falling into sin. It's your fault, God. It's not my fault. So we're like Saul. We make mistakes. We disobey the plain commands of God and we love to make excuses. And then we see we're like Saul in that the consequences are very, very similar that came upon Saul for his sin. The consequences are very similar. Even the kingdom we try to rule is stripped away. We saw that in verse 13 of chapter 13, that the kingdom that he had was taken from him. And that's what happens to us as well. God has granted us a right to rule over many things within our lives, under him. But even those things will be stripped away from those who are disobedient to him. Seeking information that isn't yours to have harms you and harms others. Parents end up punishing you for punishing your sister. And so it never really worked out. 
And usually the punishment coming upon you from your parents is far worse than you ever did to your sister. Your neighbour ends up suing you for poisoning the tree. And your boyfriend, he still leaves even after you've slept with him. And eventually, God takes everything away from you and puts you in hell. Even what you have in this world is taken from you. And this is taught again and again in the scriptures, that those who disobey God do not inherit his kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Lists off all those sins that we see so familiar to us in our own hearts. And then what does Paul say? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you live like this, if you are disobedient to God and his plain commands, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see ourselves in Saul. We can learn so much from Saul there because we see ourselves there. We see that we disobey his plain commands, God's plain commands. We see that we make excuses and we see that the kingdom will be stripped from us and we even see the consequences of the sin in our lives even today. So what is the solution to our problem with sin? Well, we must be more obedient to God's commands. We must work harder. Failure is not an option. Quitters never win and winners never quit. We must kill our pride, mustn't make excuses for our sin. We must accept the blame and then we will inherit the kingdom of God, won't we? No, that's heresy. That's not the message of the Bible. The Bible's message is, if we stand like Saul in our own strength, we will fail again and again and again. No matter how many times you fail before, if you say tomorrow is going to be a better day and I'm going to keep God's commands tomorrow and not make excuses, what does the Bible tell us? We will fail. We're never content. We will always try to seize God's big crown. We're never satisfied with the little crown that he's given us over the things in our lives. We want his big crown and we want to put it over our heads and disobey God. And the same old excuses will come up day after day. My friends made me do it. The enemy made me do it. God, you're to blame too. And we must recognise that the smallest of sins forfeits the kingdom of God. White lies send us to hell as surely as murder. White lies send us to hell as surely as murder. James 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It's the fitness gurus who say, Get up and try again. But if you fall off a cliff... There's no getting back up. And that's what we've done in our sin. We've all fallen off a cliff. So what can we do? Is there any hope for us? Well, yes, 1 Samuel 13 even hints at the hope that we have. What did we see in 1 Samuel 13? As Samuel is talking about the consequences that will come upon Saul, what does he say in verse 14? But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has... Sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. 
God has sought out a man after his own heart. And this is a reference to King David, who we'll see in due course. But ultimately, King David made mistakes as well. And so thankfully, God has sought out an even better man than David, a man who is truly after God's own heart. There is one man who has always been after God's own heart, and that man has inherited the kingdom of God. He always kept the commands of his Lord. He never, never disobeyed plain commands of God. And God has established his kingdom for all time. What should have happened for Saul if he had kept God's command has happened for this man instead. We see in verse 13 how it works. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. So there's a promise there. If you keep God's commands, he establishes your kingdom for all time. But of course, we all fail, except for one who has kept the commands of God. And so his kingdom has been established for all time. Who is the man after God's own heart? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. If we humble ourselves and we trust in Jesus, his perfect obedience of God's commands is imputed to us. And so God looks at us and is pleased with us as obedient children because he sees Christ's obedience on us. And all our sinful actions, all the times we failed God, are atoned for as Jesus is the priest who is authorised to offer a sacrifice for our sins. Is this true, you may ask? Can we actually have the kingdom of God despite our sin? It's, the answer is yes. It's throughout Scripture, even the passage that we read before. What was that passage that we read in Mark chapter 10? We saw in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus says, whoever comes like a little child inherits the kingdom. Whoever comes like a little child with nothing, think of a baby if you want to go smaller than a little child that toddles around. A baby has nothing to offer. That's what we are. We have nothing to offer, but we inherit the kingdom because we come like that little child to him. And as the rich young ruler heard, it is someone, the person who inherits the kingdom is someone who gives up all and follows Christ. And this is taught in James chapter 2 as well. Listen, my dear brothers, James says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, in trusting in Jesus, and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? If you simply love the Lord and trust in him, you inherit the kingdom. And if we have Christ, then we will be far more obedient than Saul ever was. Yes, we'll have the, the kingdom, but we will be obedient. Why is that? Well, Saul was waiting for the prophet to show up so that he could have the Lord's favour as he went about his work. We never have to wait for the prophet to show up. Do you realise that? If you're a Christian, God's prophet lives in you. God's king lives in you. God's priest lives in you. Jesus is all three officers, prophet, priest, and king, and he lives in you. So, of course, you'll be more obedient just naturally than Saul ever was as he waited for God's prophet to show up. We have a king who has launched himself off the cliff after us as we've fallen off the cliff in our sin, and he brings us back up and then stays with us and helps us so we don't fall off again. If the king is right there with us at all times, then, of course, we will want to be obedient citizens in his kingdom. 
If the king is there, of course, we will know God's commands better than Saul ever knew God's commands. With the king right there with us, we'll have strength to crucify our pride and to overcome the different temptations of the world, of our own flesh, and of Satan. Because the king is there, he will give us resources. We don't have to wait for the king to show up and give us resources as we fight against sin. He is there. He can even give us his angels, his ministering spirits sent to help us in whatever time of need we have. And as we look at the king, as he's right there with us, we'll see how pathetic our excuses for sin actually are and say, I can't blame you for my sin. You're right there with me. You've been so good to me. You've given me an eternal kingdom with you. So why would I go forth and sin and think I can excuse it afterwards? And if people scatter and we lose friends, we're content. We don't need to sin to keep them. We're content because the king is right there with us at all times. And if enemies assemble and cause great damage, we don't need to sin to get rid of them. We've got the king with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And if the king is right there with us, of course, we'll accept the blame when we do sin. And we'll find forgiveness right there and then. It is so wonderful. You don't have to wait for the priest to show up to make a sacrifice for sin so that you can find forgiveness. When you've sinned, you can go immediately to Jesus. He's right there and say, please forgive me. And he forgives there and then. Yes, we won't win every battle. We will still fail. We will still disobey God's plain commands but we'll do a far better job at fighting sin than Saul ever did because we have the king with us at all times. But if you see regular disobedience in your life, realise what you're doing. You're building your own kingdom, not Christ's. If you do not see love for God and a love for your neighbour as yourself, you do not have God's prophet king and priest standing with you to favour you. And if you keep that little crown on your head and keep snatching at God's big crown into 2020, coming into a new year, even what you have in that little kingdom of yours will one day be stripped away as Saul's was so many years ago. Like Saul, your wealth, your power will be taken from you and one day you'll be cast into eternal hell for disobeying God's plain command and for seeking to rule your own life. So I encourage you, come to Christ. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus as your prophet, your priest, and your king. And if you do that, you will have a permanent place in his kingdom, the kingdom of the one who was a man after God's own heart and still is a man after God's own heart. I can't offer you strength for obedience as we look at this passage together. I can't offer you the kingdom itself, a kingdom that will endure for all eternity. All I can offer you this morning is Christ. And then Christ can give you strength for obedience. And then Christ can give you a kingdom that endures for all eternity. Receive Jesus this morning. Love Jesus. Thank Jesus for what he has done. And ask for help from Jesus as you seek to serve in his kingdom. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him.
Lord Jesus, we praise you as the king after God's own heart. And we thank you that we can share in your kingdom simply by faith alone, by simply trusting in yourself, we can inherit that kingdom. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for trying to build our own kingdom instead of yours, for seeking to snatch the crown from your head day after day after day. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, and help us to rest in you alone as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. In your name we pray. Amen.